Episode of the Sing Second Podcast. I am John Schofield, class of 96 from Villanova, former Naval Academy PAO. Joining me, the co-host and producer is Chris Cervello, class of 99 from the Naval Academy. And as we'll get into in the first segment here, recent crowned champion of the member guest at Hammock <laughs> Beach Golf Course in Palm Coast, Florida. This is the Sing Second Podcast as a refresher for those of you just joining us as we're bringing this out of the summer and early fall sabbatical. This is a podcast about everything and anything going on at the Naval Academy, the Naval Academy Alumni Association, and the Foundation. Um, a lot of people say, hey, what's going on at the Foundation? What does the Alumni Association do? What's happening on the yard? Well, this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is the answer to all of those questions. Um, the temperature is officially in the 40s uh, now in the Maryland area, which to Chris Cervello is essentially like being on the the peak of Mount Everest, um, but an absolutely gorgeous time to be here. We're going to break down what happened during the Air Force game, another big weekend for the Alumni Association in terms of President Circle, Council of Class Presidents, and things like that. And we're going to break down what's happening on the horizon as November approaches. But first and foremost, Chris Cervello, another great day for Naval Academy alumni down in Hammock Beach, Florida, in that two Naval Academy grads went into one of the best golf courses in the country, in my opinion, the Ocean Course at Hammock Beach, and won the member guest. Why don't you give us like a, a really quick recap on how you know Naval Academy alumni are once again showing that the physical mission pays off? Yeah, I'm not sure I would call what we did the physical mission, but uh, it was uh, it was a great time. Uh, my brother joined me for our uh, our member guest. We were heat winners. We finished third overall, but we were our uh, our heat winners. Um, and, uh, it was, it took both of us, you know, all that we learned at the Naval Academy, one, not to kill each other and two, to then come back. Um, and, uh, had a good friend tell me that, you know, it's always dicey to include a family member as your guest and these member guests. But as Jeff and I were about to go to blows with each other, uh, Friday afternoon after not playing well, um, we both showed up Saturday morning, we won six zero. Uh, and we're able to win our heat and go to the final. So, um, and then in our uh, our final round, we were able to watch that Air Force game uh, as we were playing alternate shots. So, what a, what a great weekend! I would have liked to have seen the uh, football game finish up a different way. But if I couldn't be in Annapolis, uh, I would have been nowhere else than playing golf with my brother and our member guest. So your brother, a lot of people probably don't know, is is also Schofield trained to a degree. In addition to being Chris Cervello trained, he was O2 at the Naval Academy Surface Warfare Officer, eventually rose to command at sea, which everyone should aspire to as a SWO, and now is just busy going low on the golf course. That's how we do it um, in the Cervello family. But um, congratulations to you and Jeff. Couldn't happen to a better group. And I'm going to hold you, Chris Cervello, to next next fall, me making a return engagement right. down there, hopefully when I'm not hitting the ball like 90 degrees to, directly to the right with my driver. Um, you know, it, it actually reminded me, Chris, the other day, you know how you like log into your computer and, you know, Dell or Windows has like a, you know, just a photo of something very like, yeah, you know, 
very gorgeous on the screen and you can click the thing in the upper right. Hey, where is this? It was ironically the golf course in, in Palm Springs and it showed the lake where my yeah. Cleveland hybrid yeah. ended up <laughs> at the bottom um, right. as you and I were playing golf and I was having a Harry Carey moment. So I almost Another texted great you moment. immediately right there. Another great moment on the golf course <laughs> with John Scopio. <laughs> Uh, those of you who know, know that the monkey holding the symbols in between my ears and my head is a very real thing on the golf course, but we digress. Um, another unfortunate sporting uh, outcome over the weekend was the Air Force game. Um, really cool event. Um, I'll get into it here in a minute, but, you know, again, Chris, is, as a lot of people you know, are want to do. They they want to hear um, from you and and the uh, Navy football guys on how the the breakdown of this game went. Another tough offensive showing. Another tough loss to Air Force, um, a team that I really hate losing to even more than Army. Um, in your estimation, as you were watching during alternate shot, it's it's way too easy for us to say, well, the offense is struggling and they punt too much. But that's sort of where we are, right? Oh, it's exactly where we are. And I mean, you know, I, I said it last week. Um, you've got to give the defense a lot of credit. I mean, 17 to six, they kept us in this game. Um, we are at a at a real crossroads for offense. Um, you, you know, you really hope that um the the freshmen can get that time and get that experience and you, you know, rise to the level. Um, at the same time, you know, kudos to Ty Lavatai for taking the role that he's been given and stepping up when they have called on him, um, you know, amidst uh, a, a number of injuries. Um, I, you know, John, I, I don't know. I don't know where this season goes. I mean, you, you know, we, we could go on a, on a tear here um, and, you, you know, we could rattle off, um, you, you know, five more wins and be bowl eligible maybe, or we could lose the rest of these games. I mean, I, I honestly don't know where, where we're going to go. I mean, you know, 17 to six to the number 19th rank air force Falcons. I mean, it's respectable, but it's, it's not the product that you'd like to see on a field. It's certainly not the product that given all the pomp and circumstance associated with, you know, that weekend in Annapolis last weekend, it's not what you wanted to see. So um, I, I don't know that I have any great answers for you. I think we're going to have to wait and see and watch this team grow up, um, you, you know, before our very eyes over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's definitely a tough time. The environment was pretty special. Um, you know, we talked in the last pod about the difficulty of a 12 o'clock start, how it kind of messes people up with their tailgating. Um, but what a show um, inside the superintendent's tent before the game. You know, there's General Brown, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. There's Admiral Frank Kitty, uh, the chief of naval operations. Both service secretaries were there, Carlos del Toro um, and Frank Kendall uh, representing the Air Force. And, and just a lot of a lot of people in attendance uh, hoping to watch uh, Navy you know, defeat Air Force. And it wasn't to be. That is, you know, truly unfortunate. Now a bye week this weekend before next weekend. Looking forward to coming up to uh, to Philadelphia to see uh, Navy take on Temple, a Temple team that's also struggling. Got absolutely smoke showed by SMU and Primetime TV last week. A really great recap of that game written up by Colin Schofield, who writes for the Temple newspaper. Uh, shout out to the uh, to the young lad from from Broad Street up in Philadelphia. But you know we'll see how they rebound. Maybe the the off week will give Ty some time to 
um, you know, to kind of heal those ribs a little bit more and for the offense to make a showing. Excited this week in that Coach Newberry, in addition to, to doing everything that he's doing, so a really special week this week. Our board of trustees and our board of directors are coming in. They are meeting and they are going to hear from Coach Newberry, you know, who, you know, apparently doesn't have enough going on, but he's going to visit with us Thursday night um, of this week to, to address the board of trustees, to address the board of directors, um, you know, and, and update them on, on what's going on with the team. But much more importantly, and what I'm interested in is just to hear his philosophy and how he's handling his first season as a coach, it speaks a lot to, you know, what this institution is that, that, you know, the big time D one head football coach is going to come talk to these boards and engage the alumni and these advisory um, committees, you know, for, for the alumni association and foundation. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Other than that, as I mentioned, a really quiet sports weekend, unfortunately, my favorite sport women's soccer, their season really ends tonight. They host Lafayette, uh, here at um, Glenn Warner, uh, they didn't get the you know requisite amount of wins to make the Patriot League tournament, which I think I was talking to Claire McAdam, the Soup's flag aide, last weekend. I believe since Karen Gabera has been at Navy, they have only missed the Patriot League t- tournament three times, including this year. Uh, so a really tough thing for the women's soccer team, but I know Karen and Rob will turn that around and get it going. The men's soccer team is still in contention, and also this weekend. Uh, women's rugby is playing army. We know that that's not for a star because of some weird, you know, derivation in the force. Uh, but hopefully, women's rugby comes home with a win against army. But before we go to break and do our uh, do our interviews, we're going to be talking to Donnie Horner, the president of the class of 08, and Phil Hoffman from the great class of '73. You might know him better as the photographer for the Naval Academy football team and all Naval Academy sports, really. Um, But before we go into that, let me just lastly summarize what has been a really active eight days for this organization. We welcomed in our president circle donors um, at the end of last week, of which Chris Cervello is one. Um, I would encourage you to continue to give back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Naval Academy. A lot of people think that the Naval Academy is buoyed by strictly, you know, appropriated dollars from the Pentagon. Not the case. So many things of what happens on the Naval Academy in support of the physical mission, but also the academic missions, endowed chairs, uh, happens through the philanthropy of things like the President Circle, donors who give a requisite amount every year and remain engaged. Um, thank you um, to you donors who have done that. And it was so great to welcome them back uh, last week. We also convened the Council of Class Presidents. Uh, Donnie Horner, who we're going to hear from in a second, is one of those. And like I said, the joint board of trustees and board of directors meeting. Whew, that was a lot. Chris Cervello, before we go to break and talk to Donnie Horner, I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, John, I mean, I, like you said at the beginning, I mean, this is a interesting time in the in both the ACK year, the season, um, and the, you, you know, sports calendar, right? So, uh, you know, we've got five games left uh, in football, and um, some of the fall sports are starting to uh, to come to an end. We've got the um, Veterans Classic for basketball, which is on the horizon. That's two weeks away. So we'll get our first glimpse at uh, Navy basketball and we'll see how um, that's the men's basketball team. We'll see how the women's basketball team uh, bounces back after a a tough growing year last year. We'll, We'll start to see Navy wrestling. 
Um, you, you know, I mean, there's just all sorts of stuff. There's a history conference going on in the yard uh, over at USNI that, this week. I mean, it's just a it's a busy time, as, as you've said, in addition to all of the things, the great things that the alumni uh, association and foundation is doing. So uh, it, it, it's hard to prepare for these podcasts, you know, as you're like writing all this stuff down, you're living it every day, but uh, try to do our best to keep uh, listeners up to date. And that interview with Donnie does a good job of kind of showing all the things that he's involved in and uh, you know, the, the goodness that's associated with those events. Well, so without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to that interview before we do. And before we go to break, let me just thank our sponsor pro ND health in Annapolis Scott Melamed, friend of the pod, please reach out to ProMD Health for everything that you need. I like to use the cool skull thing, you know, because I'm not exactly as felt as I used to be, Chris Ravello, but uh, the cool sculpting, a little bit of Botox just to keep fresh around the eyes. That's how public affairs professionals make a difference out there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we're going to go to break. I'm going to save myself from myself, Austin Power Style. When we come back, you're going to hear from Donnie Horner from the Great Class of 08. This is the Sing Second Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Sing Second Podcast. Uh, our guest this week, we're really excited to welcome in Donnie Horner, the class president from the Great Class of 2008. Uh, was just in town this past weekend for his reunion um, and is staying in town as a trustee. Um, from the Jacksonville area in Florida. Um, Donnie, thank you so much for joining the podcast. If you can, um, just introduce the listeners to uh, a little bit more of your background. You know, they know that you graduated in 08. They know that you're an achiever and that you're the class president. But, you know, what did you serve as select and, and where did your career take you from graduation to where you are today? Well, I appreciate you having me, John. Big fan of Sing Second Sports. Um, as you noted, I'm, a, I'm very proud to be a member of the class of 2008. Just celebrated our 15-year reunion. The Naval Academy is like a great time machine. It was like when we were back on the yard. We were reminiscing about all the good days, walking, stribbling, and everything else. And um, I'll remind everybody that'll listen that we never lost Army in football when we were midshipmen. So we're really proud of that fact. Um, I was a two-sport athlete. I played baseball into my youngster year um after the fall ball season of that year played for coach costi and coach whitmire love being part of the navy baseball family really proud to be a navy hockey alum um played four years of club hockey here at the academy really honored to be the club sport athlete of the year for my class always been proud of that accomplishment um, service selected swell had a great two years. I served aboard the USS Bonhammer Shard and, you know, kind of tragically, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and, uh, retired from service two years into my career and, uh, coming to terms with that, I realized everything happens for a reason. And I've always looked for ways to get back to the Academy where I feel indebted and being a class president kind of helps me do that. And being on the board of trustees helps me do that as well. And as John will tell you, um, I'm like the the self-proclaimed biggest Navy sports fan there is. So it's really an honor to be on this this podcast. Well, there are worse things than than being a, uh, a self-proclaimed greatest Navy sports fan. You know, yeah. Donnie, you and I have had the occasion for a lot of conversations. And despite the fact uh, you being a Yankee fan, we have maintained 
you know, a really special friendship you were able to reveal to me and in your little Elaine Bennis Seinfeld moment that, you know, you had an old school Orioles hat that you would wear in the Yankee section like Elaine did. I don't think, you know, Steinbrenner would be able to kick you out of those seats. But, <laughs> you know, you live down in the Jacksonville area now, which really claims a lot of very active and engaged graduates you know, what's it like from your perspective as a leader of your class, but also a leader in on the board of trustees to see that sort of engagement from from the local area down there, the area where Chris Cervello is from as well? You know, the Jacksonville area is home to the largest number of retirees from the Naval Service across the entire country. And I've taken a lot of great comfort in that, knowing that as I made my transition from active duty service into being a civilian that there was a Navy family that was there. I have several classmates that live in Northeast Florida, uh, several alums. I've become close friends with so many of them. And um, I just really like living in a Navy Navy town. Um, it, it's awesome. And the Jacksonville community is very engaged. The Jacksonville chapter holds the largest watch party for Army Navy in the country at TIA Stadium, or now Everbank Stadium, where the Jaguars play in downtown Jacksonville every December. It's a great event. The alumni chapter is really involved and, um, you know, home to, to two bases in Jacksonville is just fantastic. So my, my family and I love living there. I've lived there for better part of uh, 12 years now. And uh, it's a great Navy town. Chris? Donnie, thanks again for uh, for joining us. Um, I'm looking at your bio that's on the um, uh, Alumni Association page. I mean, uh, John hit most of it, but you know, in your business career, um, what have you taken away from your time at Navy that you use, um, you know, day in and day out? Whether it's uh, you know from the physical mission that we tend to talk about on this podcast, or um, from the moral or mental mission, mission. I mean, what what things stick with you day in and day out that um, maybe put you in a place that uh, other graduates from other institutions maybe wouldn't have that advantage? What a great question, Chris. Um, I think often about the mission of the academy. When I was on active duty, I was trying my best, you know, to fill the to fulfill the role of command. Um, as part of the, you know, the mission of, of command and do the best I could to be the best divo that I could. And then as I transitioned into the civilian world and where I am now, I'm really looking at the citizenship aspect. And over the course of the past 10 years, I had an itch to, uh, to join the political ranks. So I ran unsuccessfully for public office in 2016, but I really felt a calling to, uh, to serve at the highest levels of government as well. So command, citizenship, and government are always at the forefront of my thoughts in my everyday uh, ventures. And I try to be a good uh, good citizen each and every day. And I, I like to remember um, what Admiral Remt and Admiral Fowler used to say, my two soups at the academy, we're the face of the Navy. Sometimes we're the only graduates that people meet. And I want to represent us well to the very best of my ability. From the physical mission aspect, um, I went from being a stick and ball athlete, loved baseball, loved hockey, um, to an endurance athlete now. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit too old to to lace them up in the beer leagues of hockey, and I can't hit an 80-mile-an-hour fastball anymore. So I, I've gone into the endurance space, and that competitive nature, you know, scratching that itch of being a competitive athlete, 
has led me to run some marathons. Really proud to be a Boston Marathon guy. And in the business world, I, I want to win. I want to win with integrity. I want to win with ethics. But at the same time, um, I'm very competitive. And I learned a lot of that in the Navy. I'll ask one more. You um, you put in your bio that you're a voracious reader. Uh, what, what are you <laughs> reading right now? Or what have you read recently that you'd want to share with uh, the, the audience? I don't think we've asked that question, John, ever. So I, I like it that you call it out in your bio. So I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. I, We're changing the whole script here. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I am a voracious reader. Um, I'll answer it. It's it's really got three parts. I'll start with saying that I recently joined a book club at the Ponte Vedra Inning Club. Um, friends of mine had said, hey, you should join this club. You know, they read a bunch of different things. And uh, recently I reread, I reread every October, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. It's it's one of my favorite books. There there are a few books that I reread every year. It's The Great Gatsby, which is my favorite. Legend of Sleepy Hollow in October, and then A Christmas Carol in December by Charles Dickens. But right now, um, I I just finished The Alchemist by Paolo Cello. Um, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, but The Alchemist is such a great read. Um, amazing that I just kind of stumbled upon it. A friend of mine recommended that. And uh, it recently released biography on Mitt Romney. It came out yesterday, and I'm, I'm perusing that as well. Um, there was a book, I think it's by David Baldacci, called The Fallen. Um, I, it was recommended on what I'm reading in the New York Times um, book review, and I, I saw somebody had recommended that. So I just, just finished that up last night and opened up Mitt Romney this morning. Yeah. I love that you go back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. You know, when you talk to so many people, it's like, I read the biography of, and, you know, it's all these or the history of this. And it's like, okay, great. I got it. You're a smart guy. You know, what do you do for fun? But the fact that you read a David Baldacci book in there, I think is great. And it, it exercises both sides of your mind. So uh, that that's fantastic. Yeah, it was actually uh, President Clinton on um, By the Book is what the segment is called on the New York Times book review. He recommended Baldacci, uh, The Fallen. He said it was the best book that he'd ever written. And it's the only one I've read by him, but it was fantastic. And um, yeah, you're right. You know, some of the, the fiction stuff is really important to me, you know, on the artistic side. And I've always been sort of a literary person. The Great Gatsby was my favorite book since I read it as a junior in high school, but now reading like The Alchemist and then turning to current events. What I didn't mention um, that I recently read was Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. Um, that tested a lot of my assumptions about a, you know, obviously a high IQ guy, a high achiever. And that was a really good read, too. And if there's a better biographer than Walter Isaacson right now, I don't know who it is. John, I think we found a new segment for these, uh, you, you know. I know, seriously. Interviews. This is fantastic. I don't even care about the Naval Academy discussion anymore. Like, I could spend another 20 minutes doing books. You know, if we, want to get into, if we wanted to get into sports, um, Armin Katayan, um, I he, uh, he had wrote a book about the gambler. I forget who the gambler actually was, but he talked about the history of this guy's gambler, Billy Waters, I think. And I recently yeah, read that is. too, and that's a little bit of a sports book as well. Yeah, if you want to read about the millions and billions that Phil Mickelson has, has lost on the golf course, the, the only more voracious better on the, on the golf course is Chris Cervello. You're a voracious reader. 
he's a voracious <laughs> golfer and better. Um, oh, but I, I agree that. with you. You you can't you can't go like back to back McCullough novels without weaving in like a like a Danielle Steele or a Nelson Demille. Um, yeah. yeah, more Nelson Demille for me. Danielle Steele for for Christopher <laughs> Before we let you go, pull the curtain back a little bit for me. Yeah, because not every listener, not every grad, really knows about you know the structure and and the leadership of of the naval academy alumni association and foundation there's a board of directors for the foundation a board of trustees for the alumni association and and not a lot of people understand and we're trying to change it but not a lot of people understand what that oversight is what that advisory status or 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 complementary status is of these organizations to the overall you know, Naval Academy and the health of the organization through the Alumni Association and Foundation. In your kind of layman's terms, explain your role um, and explain what these what these bodies do to make the the academy and this organization better. Sure, that's a great question. And as chair of the Comms Committee, I'm I'm always trying to uh, keep right before our alumni all the things that we're doing at the Alumni Association and the Foundation. You know, I sit on the board of trustees for the Alumni Association, but we do work in tandem with the foundation as well. Um, my role as a class president um, and sitting on the Council of Class Presidents and being the decade rep is to really represent the decade of 2000s. And that's the classes of 2000 to 2009 uh, on the board of trustees. Um, the Council of Class Presidents um, doesn't have any treasury. But at the same time, we're responsible for the engagement of our classes, the fundraising of our classes, class gifts and everything like that, as well as reunions, engagement of our class and making sure that um, our alumni at the tactical level are engaged with the Alumni Association and the Academy. Um, Council of Class Presidents meets twice every year in Annapolis, and we have a great turnout all the time. Um, on the board of trustees, as the decade representative and having sat on actually every committee that we have to offer, um, communications, midshipmen, alumni services committee, house committee, the list goes on and on. We're really an oversight board for all of the engagement that the Alumni Association does with our, with our living alumni and our deceased alumni across the country. We have over 100 chapters um, across the country, engaging our alumni and keeping them connected. And something that's really important for our class right now is career transition. And we have a career program, so a personal and staff that's devoted to that. And you see the Service Academy career conferences sprout up a few times each year across the country, helping the transition from active duty uh, military personnel into the civilian world, helping them land jobs. And then the foundation is really the fundraising arm of the uh, the Alumni Association and Foundation. It's the fundraising that provides us the margin of excellence that we need in order to be a first-rate institution and a first-rate alumni association. Um, I'm very proud to be a President Circle donor. I say that um, not to you know give my bona fides, but to encourage others to engage. Um, if you're an athlete, there's a way to give to the sustain the sustained fund of each and every sport. If you're a football alum, you can give through the Brotherhood. You can give to Navy football, uh, join the Blue and Gold. There's a number of different ways that you can give back, and um, I like to remind everybody of those of those ways as well. But the foundation is the fundraising arm 
that provides us the um, the margin of excellence that I know uh, Director Gladchuk talks about a lot, and so do our coaches. If someone wants to get involved, if someone wants to be a trustee, if someone wants to you know just get it more information about ending up in your shoes, Donnie, a lot of people just don't know. You know how would they go about that? You know what's the easiest process? Another great question. USNA.com is a great resource. You can go on there and peruse uh, ways to get involved. Uh, we have a very uh, diverse um, alumni board and foundation board in terms of geography um, and age demographics. There's a there's a niche for just about everybody. We have regional trustees, decade trustees, appointed trustees, you name it. And they can always reach out to to me as well. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, you know, look me up. Uh, I'm not too hard to find, and I'm happy to point every anybody in the right direction. But uh, the short answer is: get engaged with your class officers, get engaged with your um, the teammates from your sport, or a shared interest group. We're very fortunate to have shared interest groups um, sprouting up too. Um, and then the easiest answer is to get involved in your local chapter, because I almost guarantee that where you live, anywhere where you live, there's a local chapter for the Alumni Association and Foundation. Hey, I, I have one more before we go. So I was yep. just, you know, as I'm uh, pr prepping for this, is it your dad's a West Point grad? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was, so I was going to end with that, What is that, that like? Yeah. Let's just now, we'll put it out on the completely crazy. <laughs> I heard that, I read this morning, it looks like Army will join the AAC. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that kind of makes the, the Army-Navy game even cooler. And in fact, there is even a, a chance that like Army and Navy could play mathematically. They could play in the AAC championship and then play the next week in the Army-Navy game. But I mean, this has got to be a crazy day in your house uh, and for your family, like your mom's got to be like caught in the middle of this. <laughs> she really is. And so is my sister. But my wife knows exactly where she stands. She is blue and gold all the way. Um, but being the son of West Point and being the son of a West Pointer was awesome. Um, I spent uh, two years of my childhood at West Point. I was the ball boy for Coach Sutton and his Army football teams in the early 90s. Still in touch with Coach Sutton, still in touch with a lot of those players. And I love them 364 days a year. And that there's no, uh, there's no half joking there, you know, on at army Navy day, um, we want to win. My dad wants to win as, as, a um, army grad and I want to win. I I'm, I'm blue and gold. There's no, there's no, um, question as to where I stand and, um, Navy football, um, has been so impactful in my life. So as army football, but Navy football, um, without, without trying to be a name dropper, very close to one of the coaches. He was like my big brother when I was at the Academy. Um, I'll bring him up. Coach Mickey Okaitis. Um, I consider him like a brother, uh, Troy Goss, my classmate, best man in my wedding. He can complete my sentences. And, um, one of our Navy greats, you know, uh, I'm a friend so I can brag about him. I think one of the best players in Navy football history is Eric Katani. And he Agreed. was a, uh, Agreed. He was a groomsman in my wedding and I love EK. Um, so the impact that that um, Army and Navy football have had on my life is immense. And it's really awesome having a house divided. I absolutely love it. Um, Army Navy is like a national holiday in our house. And I was born on Army Navy weekend. So December 8th is my birthday and uh, December 9th is the game this year. So go Navy, beat Army all the way. 
<laughs> well, Donnie and I, I think, triangulated it when we first met that in the early 90s when he was uh, Bob Sutton's ball boy, I was yeah. you know, marauding the campus of West Point. When I say marauding the campus, I mean marching area tours every single weekend on restriction and failing every single class. But the fact that Donnie and I were able to cohabitate um, you know, on the plane there at West Point, uh, at the same time is a special, is a special thing for me. And, and yeah, everyone knows that Eric Katani is, uh, is the very best. Donnie had to share with me, ladies and gentlemen, that the other night before the Air Force game, Katani was sitting there trying to get him to come out. Donnie's got a small <laughs> child at home and, yep. and Donnie was very upfront about it. Uh, Eric Katani, he just, he did not, he did not have the staying power that you wanted from him that night. So <laughs> maybe the next time you're in town, EK will persuade you to go out, Donnie. There was no, there was no chance I was getting away from uh, taking care of a 13 month old before a packed, a packed day of Friday and Saturday but uh, my my only regret from the reunion weekend was not being able to catch up with EK. I was able to see Mick before the game, <laughs> but I feel very guilty about not being there for Eric because Lord knows it would take a lifetime to return all the favors that Eric Catani has provided me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so think that's a perfect place. To- <laughs> that's a perfect place to end um donnie thank you so much number one for your service um as a trustee uh on the council of class presidents as a president circle donor um yeah but just as as an alum you know who's out there trying to take care of other alums you know that's what this is all about and, and why we continue to do this podcast to bring the stories of how special alums are and how the support system is always going to be there so Thank you for what you do. We'll have you on again in the future, I promise, hopefully, to talk about how the Orioles just beat the Yankees in the ALCS <laughs> next year. Yeah, you know, I, I was rooting for the Orioles when the Yankees bowed out, and I do have an old-school Orioles hat given to me by uh, my classmate Brian Dunn of Forever Firsty. So thank you, BD, for that hat. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Donnie Horner, president of the class of 08. We're going to go to break when we come back interesting interview with one phil hoffman you might think it's just some old crazy guy marauding the sidelines taking photos of the football game but did you know that he's a grad and he just celebrated his 50th reunion we're going to talk to phil hoffman when we come back this is the swing second podcast all right hey hey ladies and gentlemen we are back on the Sync Second Podcast. Really enjoyed the interview with Donnie Horner. Um, you know, great service to the Alumni Association and Foundation as a trustee, Council of Class Presidents, representing the class of 08 very well. Um, in a lot of regards, you can consider him a recent graduate um, with 08 being about 15 years ago. But I'll tell you what, I am so happy that our next guest is a graduate from 50 years ago. And in fact, ladies and gentlemen, Uh, from the great class of 1973, just celebrated their 50th reunion a couple of weekends ago. And if you didn't know, there's just a certain gentleman that's almost ubiquitous, like always there at Naval Academy athletic events, taking photos on the sidelines, usually has like an American flag bandana on, you know, the grizzled white beard. And you wouldn't think that that particular photographer is a class of 73 grad, but it is. His name is Phil Hoffman, and he has been an absolute institution for Naval Academy sports, chronicling it with his Zoom lens 
but also for the Baltimore Ravens and beyond. And he is joining us on the Sync Second Pod today. Phil, number one, thank you so much for joining the pod. I've been trying to secure you as an interview for a long time so we can put a name and a story to the face people see on the sidelines. How you doing? I'm doing great. I thank you very much. Uh, you know, normally I'm a fly under the radar guy. Um, so when you started to rustle the leaves and shake me up <laughs> into the public, you know, I was uh, at first I was pretty, uh, pretty hesitant. I'm not that guy, but uh, but I'm happy to be on. And uh, as you know, I've had a wonderful career here and I hope to keep it going. Um, it's been a life's work um, and uh, I have no regrets about any of it. So it's uh, just been great. So we like to tell stories here, Phil, you know, for, for those who might not know, and, and I include myself in that, what, what is your story? You graduated in 1973, but where were you from? Did you always want to attend the Naval Academy? And then when you graduated from the Naval Academy in 1973, pretty interesting time in our country's history back then, you know, with Richard Nixon and, you know, coming out of Vietnam. Tell the story about how, where you're from, how you ended up at the Naval Academy, and then what you did as you entered the fleet after that. Well, to be honest with you, um, my father was a graduate of the Naval Academy as well. He was actually class of 48 during the war. He graduated in three years. You know, they rushed uh, the top half of that class through. So he actually left the Academy in 47. Um, so anyway, uh, from the time I was born, I was basically in the Navy. You know, we moved every two years. I lived overseas, went to many, many different schools, um, two high schools, too many elementary schools to count. Um, but anyway, so in the whole time, my dad was basically programming me uh, to follow in his footsteps and go to the Naval Academy. Um, so I was left out of a lot of conversations my parents had about my future although I did overhear some of them. Um, and it was odd because I thought perhaps I should be included, but, uh, but this was a vision my dad had for me. So I went to my last two years of high school in Hawaii. I was very lucky, went to Punahou High School. And um, uh, my dad worked at Pearl Harbor and uh, you know I, I visited ships and saw ships. And so I had had kind of a lifetime of, of doing that. I think at that point I had 33 ship pass, uh, you know, badges because the ships I'd visited uh, throughout his career, he would take me. So anyway, but as far as my future was concerned, it was Naval Academy or bust in so far as he saw it. So um, I didn't really even think about anything else, to be honest with you. I, I didn't even go to my career counseling in, in high school because I was going to the Naval Academy. It was just a done deal. So, um, so anyway, so I got in, I, you know, I found out in February, my senior year, February of 69, that I had been accepted. And um, it, it didn't come surprise as it to anybody, because my dad had prepared me by sending me to private schools and making sure I had checked all the boxes. So, uh, so anyway, so I came to the academy um, in June of 1969, and um, really had no expectations. I had no dreams of being in the Navy. Even I was, I just did it because it was kind of what was expected of me. So uh, I was a September kid. So I got there, you know, I was 17, pretty young and got thrown into it. But, you know, frankly, I didn't have any trouble with it. You know, I, I didn't have a hard time. Um, 
I don't want to say it was easy plebe summer, but I, you know, it wasn't, you know, any, it wasn't bad, you know, so, and I had a great group of company mates. I think we all made it through. So, um, so that's kind of how I got there. Um, my only issue was that I arrived with no expectations. You know, I had no, I hadn't seen any further down the road than the next day. Um, and the first thing that, that I came upon was majors. So I didn't frankly know what a major was. The, uh, the academy classes prior to my class, I don't know if my class was the first, I think it was close. You just came to the Naval Academy and you took the curriculum. So, you know, you were prepared to be a Naval officer and you didn't have to worry if you were an oceanographer or ocean engineer or mechanical engineer, whatever it might be. Um, so that one kind of caught me off guard. And I know they don't do it now, but back in my era, you chose your major plebe summer. So anyway, so long story short, so I like the ocean and my dad was an engineer. So I chose ocean engineering. Um, turned out to be a much harder major than I maybe thought I was getting myself into. I think maybe oceanography was my ticket. But anyway, long story short. So, but having said that, um, you know, I, I soldiered on and I, I got through, I played soccer, I kicked for the sprint football team, um, you know, and so my grades weren't fabulous, but they were, I never got myself in trouble. So anyway, I, I, I actually, to be honest, it was a pretty fast four years. I wouldn't say I was happy there, but I'm not sure back then there were a lot of happy people there. Um, but again, when I when I left, I didn't I just didn't know what to do either. I didn't have a passion for anything. I'd been, you know, they taken us around and showed us, you know, went to Pensacola and got sick in an airplane and, you know, took us to New London and the submarines. So I'd done all that stuff, but I, I really honestly didn't know what to do. So I was on a destroyer out of Long Beach, California. It was a reserve destroyer, which turned out to be a blessing because it didn't deploy. So I got really fortunate and um, we would go out and we would cover for ships in San Diego. We plane guarded for carriers. We, we fired our guns, uh, you know, to help the Marines sight in. And we went to the Portland Rose Festival. I think our longest trip the whole time, three years I was there was to Hawaii for a month. Um, and so at, to be honest, I enjoyed it, but. I, I would think so. It sounds like rough. Dude. Yeah, Southern California. And so the only issue was I also thought, well, I don't want to spend my life doing this. I don't want to be on a boat for the rest of my life. I liked it a lot better when it was tied up to the pier, not so much when it went out to the sea. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I started carving out ideas for myself to get off of the boat and pursue something else. And because I'd been an engineer, my dad was an engineering duty officer. I thought that sounds good. And so I applied and was accepted for that program and sent to graduate school at Monterey, um, where I also had a great time. Again, I, you know, I got my master's degree in mechanical engineering without difficulty. Um, however, when it came time to choosing a major, the major I chose involved using holography to test plates for faults by vibrating them and taking holograms. And it was the most fascinating thing I had ever done in my life. And I'd, uh, I dabbled in photography in high school. I took pictures for the yearbook. My grandmother thought, you know, there was something there. So th she bought me cameras for Christmas. Um, but anyway, so that kind of really lit a flame with me. It was, it was really interesting and I really liked it. And I knew 
at that point that if I was going to be successful in anything, I would have to have a passion for it because I, I'm just the type of person that I'll do my best, but I can't guarantee it'll be, be awesome if I don't want to do it. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to describe, but I just kind of knew that about myself. So anyway, so, um, but of course now I had four more years of commitment after getting my master's and they shipped me off to the Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard um, where again, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I was a ship superintendent for a guided missile destroyer overhaul. I did short availability work. I mean, it was great people. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Um, but again, I, I didn't see a career path for me yet. Um, so I wrote a book about scuba diving. I was a big scuba diver. I wrote a book about scuba diving, a comprehensive guide to scuba diving in Hawaii. I think it's still available, but it's a little dated now. But, uh, but in the process of doing that, obviously, I took a lot of photographs. I got more and more into photography. I took a correspondence course. Um, you know, so I, that, that bug had kind of been planted, um, and it started to grow a little bit over there. And then, uh, and then finally, you know, when I was a year away from my commitment, I knew I had to make a hard call. Um, and again, I just didn't see my future in the Navy anymore. Now, I know I disappointed, frankly, a lot of people, my dad included, um, but I decided that if I was going to really be happy and enjoy what I was doing, that I was going to take a chance on photography and see if I couldn't make that work out. And in a nutshell, I was the only one that thought that. I was the only one that thought I might be able to make that work out. Everybody else thought I was nuts. I mean, here's a lieutenant commander in the Navy with a master's in mechanical engineering. You know, I'm nine years into a really good career. And they thought maybe I was I lost my mind or something, you know, that I was counseled almost, you know, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? So, um, so anyway, so I decided to pull the trigger on it and I did. And um, my plan, I had a plan. So my plan was to move back to Annapolis and I'll tell you why I knew I'd only been gone less than 10 years. I knew I'd still know people there. I'd know my coaches you know, back then, all of the coaches, except for, I think, basketball and maybe football, were also PE instructors. So you kind of got to know them during your four years. When you went to wrestling class, it was, you know, Ed Perry was your wrestling instructor, a two-time yeah. All-American. And so I knew a lot of those people were still there. And I thought the one thing I needed was access. So I thought, I'll go back there. Those people will let me photograph their events. And I can get my foot in the door. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, I bought a photography equipment. I moved back to Annapolis and I started to shoot. And right away, I was fortunate because there wasn't anybody there doing that, really. The photographer at the NAAA at the time was a film guy. He filmed football practice and he filmed football games. He developed movie film. He repaired Kodak analyst projectors. You know, so I was I was giving Tom Bates, who was the sports information director at the time, I was giving him something he wasn't getting and he liked it. You know, he appreciated it and he did pay me a little bit. You know, so I was doing a little work. I started doing a little work for the Annapolis Capitol. Um, and then a crazy thing happened, which was horrible. In November, I got back there. I got out of the Navy on September 1st and was on the sidelines at the football game September 10th, Navy versus Virginia, 1982. And in November, the gentleman that had the job passed away unexpectedly. And so all of a sudden there was an opportunity and I was in the right place at the right time. 
So I was actually hired to be that guy, you know, to do film for practice and games and process movie film. But, you know, obviously that was during football season and the rest of the year, except for, you know, a month of spring ball, I would be able to do my still photography skills and sort of grow that too. Um, and that's what I did for years. I, I did both and, um, and everything was going great. I was happy. Um, and then technology kind of intervened, video came in, replacing film, and then, and obviously there was no processing, and then there was video editing, and then that animal just grew and grew and grew, almost into its old department. And yeah. so Navy hired a full-time videographer for that position, kind of leaving me as the odd man out. Fortunately, they let me stay, but I became strictly the still guy. And um, and I really appreciated, you know, Jack Lingle and then Chet Gletchuk letting me do that because it's very unusual for a university back then, especially to have a full time still photographer on staff. That was a very unusual thing. And I knew that. Um, so I appreciated it. And I it, it motivated me to give them more and to give them better and make sure I was kind of justifying my existence. Um and so anyway, so that's what I did. And I, and I enjoyed the heck of it. I'll be at my 50th Army-Navy game this year as a fan, 42nd as a photographer. It's just been, it's been indescribable. I've met every Naval Academy athlete over 50, well, 40 years. Um, David Robbins, starting with David and Napoleon McCallum and going all with Alton Grizzard. I mean, the, the name, the, the list is endless. I mean, even today, you know, um, so it, yeah. it's just been a joy. And I think part of it is because, because my wife and myself and my dad are all grads, we really get their sacrifice. And we know that particularly for a good athlete, there are other opportunities out there. And the fact that they'll commit to this is, uh, is something I think is to be applauded. And uh, so, you know, I, yeah, I just, and we, we talk about it, Phil, but yeah, you know, that the measure of success is often at service academies. This isn't just central to Navy, but you know, the, the, the metric of success is, oh, did that person go on to be a colonel or a captain or a, a general or an admiral? And, and so many great alumni stories involve this, where your time on the banks of the Severn armed you with the tools you needed to be successful in your passion. And you found your passion. Your passion was photography. You know, for me, what I'm interested in is you have now presided over an incredible period of time from when you first arrived in 1969 to when you returned in 1982 and then from 1982 to present day, you know, being just that constant on the sidelines, it, I, I, I feel dumb asking you what your, you know, what, what you've noticed the biggest change has been, but, but geez, Phil, you, you've, you know, when you were there, there was no Glenn Warner soccer facility. You know, Navy Marine Corps Stadium didn't have the press box and, and the Ackerson Tower that it has today. In, in your estimation, what's the biggest change that you have seen happen over the 50 years since you graduated and, and since 1982 when you when you fully came back? Yeah, I, I would say, first of all, that you, you make an excellent point. I mean, to be honest, back then, the facilities were not great. You know, they really weren't. You know, the stadium was old when I arrived. Um, you know, it had a green dirt field and, uh, you know, there was no 
the locker room was kind of stuck in a corner underneath the stands. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it was, it was surprisingly to me, I, I just, I guess I didn't, I didn't remember it from when I was there. I didn't remember those things, but when I saw them more up close and personal by going to these events, you know, soccer was being played on Rip Miller field on that terrible AstroTurf. Um, lacrosse was being played at the stadium in the dirt and the mud. Um, and so I think that's probably the number one thing. I mean, the facilities now are far better. I mean, obviously there's still work to do, but there's no way to compare the stadium today to what it was back then. Obviously, you know, we played soccer on what is now the infield of the outdoor track, right by Michelson and Chauvinet. That was the soccer field. Uh, the football practice field was where the soccer Glen Warner is now. And uh, so, and, and so, and obviously the other huge difference obviously was the, 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 the coming of women's sports and the success that they've had, um, it has been a phenomenal change. I mean, I, I've always said, I'm not sure what it is about the women that come to the Naval Academy, the athlete, the female athletes, but there's just something about them. It's just, it's competitive edge. It's just something that, that makes them stand above. And I, my wife was in the fourth class of women. Uh, she was a basketball player. There were only 52 women in her graduating class and 1,150 men. And now I think we're closer to a third of the class almost. And the women's sports have been so successful. You know, lacrosse went to the Final Four a few years ago. And so I think that's a huge, huge change um, because, you know, as you remember, it was just one big frat house back when I was there. You know, it was 4,000 guys under one roof with no women and no rules, <laughs> you know, so it was, uh, it was a really, really different environment, uh, I'm sure. Um, but my wife gives me a lot of input as to what happened, you know, during her four years there, she was, uh, you know, they, they didn't particularly care for the women in the beginning, uh, being at the uh -huh. academies, you know, there was some pushback to the, the female. And, and when my wife graduated, she really couldn't even do anything professionally. They weren't allowed to do a lot of the thing. They couldn't fly. They weren't on ships. They weren't on submarines. You know, they, they flew desks. You know, she flew a desk um, for three years. And then she actually, the reason we met is that she came back as the assistant women's basketball coach uh, while she was still in the Navy. Um, so anyway, uh, I think that's a huge change. The facilities are better, but the sport in general for the athletics is better. You know, everything is better. I, I don't know any of the specifics of it, but um, the equipment's better. The outfitting is better. You know, it's just it's just it, the presentation of it is much more professional than it was um, but way back then. And how much do you think, Phil, you know, because when you and I first met, um, it was 2000, 2001. I was the women's soccer officer rep and. You know, I just, I asked Rob Blank, the assistant coach one day, like, who's that dude taking photos? And he's like, oh, that's Phil. He's a 1973 grad. And I remember thinking like, really? And and I honestly had one of those moments that, that you and I were just talking about where I was like, man, I, I just didn't know that Naval Academy grads were like sideline photographers. Um, you know, but but that's, that's, the, that's the thing. But, you know, back then, it was right when Jack Langle was leaving and right when Chuck Gladchuk arrives, um, 2000 and 2001. You have 
basically been on station and witnessed the only two civilian athletic directors in the history of the Naval Academy. What, what difference did, did Chet make, you know, in, in the establishment of these facilities and the growing of D1 sports to now number one in the country, you know, and, and what was it like working around a legend like Jack? Well, to be honest with you, I, you know, and again, I don't really know that side of the game. Obviously, I picked a path far removed from that side, but it, but it clearly, money is a is a big factor now, a huge factor. Um, you can't do any of these things without money, and I think, I think, the difference with Chet seems to be his he brought his expertise in fundraising and and stuff like that where. I don't know how much before Jack, when, you know, they, Bo Coppage, I don't know that he was real concerned about fundraising, to be honest with you. I think that was an entirely different era. Um, for one yeah. thing, like I said, I think all but maybe the football coaches were government employees. Yeah. So, so I'm sure the budget was far less, you know, than it, than it has become to support all these things. Um, but at the same time, you know, there it, it's also I, from my perception, become much more of a business, um, and I, I'm sure that goes hand in hand with raising funds and supporting, you know, travel budgets and, and the whole nine yards. Um, because back then it was smaller, you know, it it, it felt a little bit more family. Um, there were a lot more social functions. Now that's part of the times too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, back in the 80s, I mean, we were allowed to have fun and uh, cross the, the lines every now and then, but there were no videos, <laughs> you know, no phones. <laughs> so no, we're um, pr probably all better for that. Yes. Abs oh, absolutely. No question about it. Uh, we'll keep that in our memories. <laughs> only tell well, those speaking. stories. We won't tell those stories to the public. No, that's a completely different podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, speaking of the memories, Phil, as I let you go, everyone has a different answer. And, and these are the answers that I love to listen to. But, you know, it, you're, you're still here. The Naval Academy is, is fundamentally part of who you are, from your dad to your wife, um, to the ring on your finger, and, and now the role of service you have played for years and years. You know, it's not just photography. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I have watched Phil Hoffman on the sidelines. I have watched athletes gravitate to him from taking their headshots in, you know, a, a cramped Ricketts uh, office, you know, to, to following them on the sidelines and to putting yourself in harm's way. What for you is, is special about the Naval Academy? When, when you have to tell someone why you're proud of your alma mater, what, what do you come back to? Well, I always come back to the service aspect of it. Like I said earlier, I mean, to, to be willing to do this um, has always involved a service, you know, and, and, and a dedication to your country and your, to your community. It's a different type of person to begin with. Um, I think now so even more so, especially for the athletes. And I think I, I, I'm proud of what I've done because the just like you said, the Naval Academy prepares you to be a successful person. I had 28, I think, company mates in my class. And I wouldn't be surprised if I did the math, if there were 28 different career paths.
you know, we had admirals, we had stockbrokers, we had doctors, we had lawyers, we had businessmen. I'm, I'm the outlier probably with the photography thing for sure. But I, I always thought because of that, if I really put myself into photography because of the discipline I learned and the work ethic and just all those intangibles, you know, being on time. You really learn that. Like fundamentals. Yes. And and all those things, they all contribute. They all contribute to a successful career. I don't care what your career is in. You know, if you're a photographer, you know, be responsible, be dependable, show up on time, stay up with, you know, your equipment, keep, you know, it's, it all contributes. And that's where it all started. You know, back then, obviously my dad was a, was a, you know, raised me right, but I was young then, so he had to be maybe laid the foundation. But you really learn those things during those four years, and they never go away. Uh, you you, uh, you just laugh about it. In fact, my wife and I laugh about it. We both had circumstances over our civilian lives where we'll tell someone, I'll meet you here at seven. And they'll walk in at quarter to eight. And we're like, where the hell have you been? We said seven. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Phil, I'll tell you what, um, the, the last three minutes, you know, should be, should be captured and, and used as a recruiting, uh, pitch for, for the Naval Academy. You said it so well, and, you know, the Naval Academy truly is a special place because of people like you. So ladies and gentlemen, he's, he's a mechanical engineer. He is, uh, a horse farmer. He is a great photographer he is a mentor and a friend to midshipmen and athletes. And for our purposes here on this podcast, he is a graduate. He's an alumnus and he is part of this family. We are so happy to bring you the stories of those alumni, particularly today with Donnie Horner from 08 and Phil Hoffman from 73. Phil, thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you continue to do. And uh, we'll see you on the sidelines here in the future. Sounds great, John. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Time well spent. All right. Oh, well, we love it. We'll, we'll have to have you on again. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Phil Hoffman from 73. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Mr. Cervello and I will take this baby out, preview uh, the weeks ahead, including a little road trip to Temple. Phil Hoffman loves photographing uh, the Lincoln Financial Field during Temple games. There are 12 people in the stands for him to photograph. So stick with us. This is Sing Second. We'll be back after the break. All right, Chris, we're back. Um, great combo with Phil. I love that dude. An absolute live wire of, of a human being, 72 years strong, uh, celebrating his 50th reunion, still going strong. And, you know, I love when, um, you know, a 70 something tells me that he has to reschedule a pod interview because he is shooting the Baltimore Ravens football practice. That, my friends, <laughs> is being involved as a septuagenarian. Um, and it feels odd to even call Phil a septuagenarian. Hey, before we go out, let me just put a little um, a little primer out for the next week. Uh, as I said in the open, we are going to be playing Temple in our next home football game. Special day up there on Friday on the grounds of Villanova University. I call it the Harvard of the South, the Annapolis of the North, no big deal. But Friday at Villanova University, November 3rd, is the largest Special Olympics event in the world, or at least in the country. 
Um, and it's put on by the Special Olympics of Pennsylvania. Matt Aaron uh, runs that. He's the president and CEO of the Special Olympics of Pennsylvania, putting on this enormous event at Villanova. And he's a grad, ladies and gentlemen, a 1988 grad of the Naval Academy. Uh, we're going to go up there on Friday and take part in that Special Olympics event at Villanova before we have a little Founders Day dinner with the uh, chapter in Philadelphia and then the game against Temple, 2 p.m. next Saturday. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to connecting with my son. And it's always being, it's always great being on the campus of Villanova University. Chris, for you, what's on the horizon in the Cervello House? So we have another golf event this week. I'm very excited for that. It's the DNO Cup, uh, named for my uncle. Uh, so uh, we'll play in that. And then next week, prior to the Temple game, we play in the um, uh, couples tournament. So my wife, Lon, and I will uh, will lace it up. Playing with a family member and the member guest was tough. Uh, I I hope that you know our marriage can withstand uh, being couples partners in a in a two day golf tournament. So. Uh, um, I will not make the Temple game, but we will watch it on TV after we finish our round on uh, on Saturday. So uh, that that's what the next two weeks look like for us. It is confirmed that Jeff Cervello is applying, you know, at least some form of counseling to Juan in advance of uh, in advance of this experience for her, and we wish you good luck. Um, it's always it's always good bringing home the pewter from uh, golf tournaments, and Chris Cervello has been doing a lot of that recently. Um, also next week, ladies and gentlemen, you know, again, we're not a pure sports podcast anymore, but we're, you know, we're creatures of habit and we love to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk to hopefully Ed DeCellis. We're going to do a little bit more work talking about the athletic and scholarship programs here at the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation, just educating people a little bit more about what these foundation schools mean to the Naval Academy, what the giving of ANSP trustees means to the health of the physical mission, um, and really just to the health of the Alumni Association writ large. Um, it, it just, it helps us make the Naval Academy a better place, and that is our mission. This has been a great week for Chris Cervello, Donnie Horner, Phil Hoffman. I am John Schofield. This has been the Sing Second Podcast. We'll see you next week. We're going to hear from Ward Carroll, among others, um, in case you're wondering about whether starting a YouTube channel is profitable, it is. Um, so we'll see you next week. This is the Sing Second Podcast. We are. 